Day 2 Cloud. I am Ethan Banks, and with me is Ned Bellavance. You can find us on LinkedIn if you'd like to follow us. Today, the topic is platform engineering. Our guest today is Chad McElligott. Chad wrote a lengthy post on his website, chadxz.dev, about platform engineering, and that post was also a DevOps Days talk. And I was so taken with what he had to say, I reached out and said, Chad, would you come on the show today and talk to us about platform engineering? And, and he said yes. And uh, and we didn't talk about what was in that post very much at all. I got to be honest with you, Ned. I don't know if you had a chance to read it, but man, we went into a lot of different directions, didn't we? Uh, yeah, I read the post and I agree. There's a ton of great stuff in the post, but why just regurgitate the post, right? We had a chance to pick this guy's brain and pick away we did He's a person who's thought deeply about platform engineering, and it really shows. It really does show. Uh, it, 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 his thinking goes goes deep and wide. He's got lots and lots of experience for you to benefit from. So enjoy this conversation today with Chad McElligott. Chad, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. And if you would tell the nice people listening, who are you, what do you do, and how did you get involved in platform engineering? Hey, uh, thanks for having me. So I have been doing software engineering for... 20 years now. Um, I started my career working at uh, a small medical software company out of Huntsville, Alabama, which is where I currently live. Um, but I did that right out of college. And um, since then, um, I have worked at a telecommunications provider where I did a lot of like Skunk Works development um, for like product ideas that we took to customers and, you know, tested out. But Ended up slowly moving more back office and more like developer focused, working on yeah, CD pipelines, mm. infrastructure, cloud, Docker, um, you know, helping developers understand how to move more into this new deployment model of the cloud. And then just really found I loved it. I loved both serving my fellow developers. I also loved enabling that rapid delivery of software to customers and um, facilitating that. So I started to kind of shift my focus to that. And I moved to a company called Sotheby's, which is a um, auction house that has been around for quite some time. But I was doing platform engineering there. And we had a small team that was serving about uh, 75 to 80 developers. And I, I stayed there for about a year doing various platform related tasks. Yeah, now I'm working at a startup called Smarter. We are a company that provides subscriptions as a, a value-added service on top of Shopify platform. We are a very small company, so um, my platform role has become more of a like staff engineer role where it's like platform plus just being a steward of the software engineering organization as a whole. So um, more holistic as opposed to specifically platform. You mentioned that you were a dev and that you were in the role of showing other devs the way regarding uh, <laughs> platforms and so on, which to me, my head kind of broke there for a second because I was like, well, wait a minute. I thought it was devs that kind of understood all this stuff, the modern way of handling software. We're just applying it to infrastructure. And it was all we we old-timey infrastructure engineers that are stuck in the past trying to get our heads around DevOps. But you're saying you were showing mm -hmm. other devs the way? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say Many of us learned it together, but as I joined new teams, those teams may not have been so infrastructure aware. You know, they were used to the old, you know, PHP delivery mechanism of like, you know, FTP the files to the server and <laughs> um, 
uh, off you go. And we wanted to move to more of like an atomic deployment model where, you know, you're deploying like releases and um, and those releases are verifiable and, you know, you can roll back. Um, but instead of like deploying like individual files, you know, we're deploying like a atomic release. And we were doing that, um, you know, we moved from doing like an older model of deployment to like more Docker containers running on servers that were deployed using Ansible and then moved from that model to where I was working at Sotheby's where we were doing more like um, Kubernetes in EKS. And so we were deploying using Helm charts and we would push the image to like a registry and and uh, deploy them using the Helm chart. It's It's been a slow evolution and a lot of times developers are hesitant to really dive into the infrastructure side because they're, you know, they don't want to break anything, obviously. And they are more comfortable with the concepts around the software delivery or the software building process, but not really the delivery process. So, um, you know, things like, you know, back when we were still spinning up like HA proxy and keep alive D and things like that, like they didn't really get how those pieces were connecting together. And so the role that I played was largely like building those components, um, explaining them, drawing diagrams, helping devs understand like how they, how the pieces fit together and ultimately provided the platform that they were deploying to. And then, um, you know, over time, just putting that into infrastructure as code so that it can follow the same process as a normal dev is used to with like the MRs um, to a version control repository. So yeah, so over time, that's kind of how the progression has gone. And what I've found personally is that like, I have a enthusiasm for this sort of stuff. And so mm -hmm. like, I've really dived into the DevOps model, you know, headfirst. Uh, not all devs feel that way about infrastructure. And they are mostly just like Terraform is a big mental you know, cognitive load. I don't really care to learn that as well as like my language and stuff like that. And so can we just make this as easy as possible? And so, um, you know, part of my role as like a platform engineer has been to make those tasks as easy as possible for devs and provide things like packages that they could kind of easily consume. So like reusable Terraform modules, if that may be, or um, well-written documentation at times. Um, and, you know, in some cases, just simply abstracting things away where possible to make it so that they don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, just like, you know, re respecting the fact that not everyone feels the same way about infrastructure as I do and finding ways to meet them where they're at. Not all devs feel this, you know, it's not like binary and so different devs want more control and some some devs want just more automated automation and so um you know we we want to try to meet each class of dev where they are and provide them the tools they need to do their job most effectively it's interesting how so often when we talk about developers especially as ops folks right we tend to put all developers in just one bucket you're a monolith you're developers, you always want the newest thing, you want to do it with zero effort, and uh, you don't want to know how the sausage is made. And so that's like, 
I think that's the uh, mindset that we come to the table with, which from what you're saying, that's wrong. Like there is a spectrum of different developers who have different interests. Is that the point of the platform to be able to cater to all those different spectra of developers? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, there's only, I mean, you also have to consider the size and the skill set of your platform team as well. So like, you don't want to bite off more than you can chew with respect to the ownership of a platform if your team is small. And so like, if you have a small platform team, you want to try to provide support to devs that is sustainable. So like, for example, you don't want to say like, I am going to provide a set of components that all devs have to use for Terraform, like Terraform modules, but then like not keep them up to date, not be responsive to change requests. You know, you you don't want to be that you basically become a bottleneck at that point. And Mm -hmm. so if you're a smaller team, you want to do things like write documentation or maybe help embed and help teams like get across the finish line on a specific project that they're working on. And that that embedding can be like a like an opportunity for those teams to learn those skills, um, but also not putting like a huge weight of maintenance on that person on that platform team's shoulders. So um, you just have to realize what the capabilities of your individual team are, and then like provide the appropriate abstraction for a platform. And so other times, like if your if your platform team is you know, larger, you can do more ambitious projects. You can provide like, you know, a, a a full on backstage platform, or you can, you know, you can write uh, an abstraction around Terraform that is completely like bespoke to your organization. (laughs) And, um, and if you, if you have the people to maintain that, then, you know, Bob's your uncle. Um, it's but, uh, so funny to talk about abstracting yeah. Terraform because Terraform basically is an abstraction. So, and, mm-hmm. okay, how far away are we gonna we gonna get? Well, <laughs> I mean, you want to provide like organizational defaults, right? Um, yeah. For like, you know, sizes of things and whatnot, and um, and you people think that they can make it easier, mm-hmm. and and if you can make it easier, and you can be responsive to feedback, and you know, yeah, do it. Uh, but uh, I think it's important that platform teams be re- realistic about what they can provide um, in a in a way that is actually supportive. So. Well, let me take you back a step, Chad. Why build a platform to begin with? Are there problems that when you're working with a business, you you see, yes, the platform, we need to do, we need to build a platform. That's the solution to this problem. Um, I don't know. I can't imagine that there's usually ever like a big bang genesis moment for platforms, um, a lot. Of, I would imagine that most platforms kind of grow organically out of real needs of engineers or teams. But um, so, so, so would you think of it more as an IT need as opposed to a business need, and the business benefits indirectly because I don't know faster time to market or something like that? Um, I kind of think of it as like, let's say you're a startup, right, and you're you're building uh, a CI/CD pipeline and you have a new team that's spinning up and they also need a CICD pipeline. And so it's like you could hire infrastructure or, you know, DevOps oriented engineers and stick them on the team and have them provide support for that team for that need. Or you can take what you've got and repurpose it to provide support for both teams. And then 
suddenly you have like a CI/CD platform um, that you're, you know, you're maintaining that is providing the support for multiple teams. And then you can kind of scale that to the point where maybe it's serving five or six teams or, but then you've got like a special team that's maybe doing like embedded devices or something where the CI/CD platform, that's the platform doesn't fit them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they probably do need some dedicated support on that team for that. Um, but then the rest of the organization can continue to use that shared uh, infrastructure. And that's CICD is just like one example of a quote unquote platform. But like, I don't know if you've heard of team topologies or read the book or whatever, but um, they talk about a platform being like X as a service or like you're providing some need to the business or to the org- engineers as a service. And, um, but they also talk about other types of teams, like enabling teams where you're like helping them to learn a new skill or implement some key component. They also have like complicated sus- subsystem teams that are doing things like, you know, I'm going to handle payments and you're going to do just a consume from me for that. But like, I think of all of these as like platform roles. And I've also started to like, even develop a a sense of like, well, I also think of management as a platform because like you're providing like this like structure and process to these engineers that, you know, that process is shared across the organization a lot of times and you need to continuously iterate on that process. And so it's similar to a platform in almost every way, except instead of building artifacts, you're delivering process and, and things like that. And so like, think people like, you know, engineering management and even agile coaches and things like that, I kind of see as part of your business's engineering platform. So probably a little odd to think <laughs> of it that way, but uh, this is just how, where I've landed. Do you think part of it's just that platform is an overloaded term? Like we use the same word to mean so many different things. Or do you think there's really, when we're talking about platform uh, we can take it to uh, more of an abstracted place where a platform is a series of like processes that are meant to support the business. And we could apply that to a technology platform or a human platform. Yeah, I think the latter for sure. I really resonate with the concept of like reducing cognitive overhead. If you strip away all the platforms, right? And you just think of a software engineer delivering a feature or delivering a product to a customer, let's just say it's like a single person. So they're having to do all of the things. They're having to build a customer. They're having to, you know, uh, do the CICD. They're having to, you know, figure out like their own career growth and everything. And so it's like, that's a lot to Mm -hmm. do. And so you kind of think of like all these structures as like reducing the cognitive overhead of being a software developer and delivering products to customers. When we had this like shift to DevOps collapsing these silos, we dumped a huge cognitive overhead on top of devs. And so like, in a way, like platform is like a recognition that like, you know, is that really what we meant to do? What we meant to do is like rebuild these connections between these different people that are... um you know, providing these different roles within the company, we we want to stop having this like throw it over the wall mentality or like, this is your problem, not my problem. And we had these like incentive structures where it's like devs were incentivized to 
ship fast, whereas ops was incentivized to slow down and be stable. Mm-hmm. And so it's like we wanted to break these in, these these broken incentive structures down and build it back in a better way. And I think that better way that people are recognizing is this concept of platform and this focus on reducing cognitive load. And so it's now re-manifesting in this new platform, you know, renaissance of the concept of platform. And I think, I think so far that I've heard people talking about platform, like they're thinking about it the right way. They're thinking about reducing cognitive overhead. They're thinking about, you know, how can we treat developers as the customer and like think of them as, you know, if what we're providing to them is not helping them achieve organizational goals, then we we need to iterate on that and improve. So does it ever make sense to not build a platform then? Like, I know you were two different sized organizations. You were at Sotheby's, which was a pretty substantial engineering team. And now you're at a very, at a small startup with very few resources. Does it make, yeah. does it, did it make sense at Sotheby's to have a platform and where you're at now to maybe not just because you can't maintain it or? Yes. Yes. So like, um, at Sotheby's, we definitely have, a, they, they, they have a platform. Um, and it makes sense for a team to be a steward of that. You can have a very large organizational impact by taking on projects that have cross-cutting impact across all the teams. And there's enough teams there that it makes sense to dedicate a handful of engineers to that cause. At Smarter, we don't really have a platform team. It is very much like everyone has kind of got their hands in everything, um, engineering-wise, I mean. And um, I think that's that's healthy. We have to be realistic about where we put our resources and really focus on solving the next most important problem. And sometimes that is infrastructure. Sometimes that's fixing bugs or next feature. So like as a staff engineer there, I I really am just trying to help the organization keep solving the most important problem. And, and uh, we don't really have dedicated resources. I mean, we have a DevOps guy um, that does focus his time on cloud-related tasks but you know there's not like a the concept of a team at the at the startup for this for this specific role okay so you've said it's just some really important things there one is uh, at your previous organization you were dedicated in iterating on the platform that is you were working on it there were other people that were working on it as you found that it didn't meet needs you were iterating on it that describes something that is ongoing and has a lot of attention paid to it and that demands time of people to to do it. You've got to be able yeah. to devote that time to make this thing happen. It's not like a spare project you you kind of throw together over the weekend and then it just kind of runs on its own. It's a thing that the business has got to commit to and you've got to have people that are making the platform go. And in fact, there's a role then for platform engineers, kind of how I'm beginning to think of this. And if you don't have yeah. that time, because because of where you are now, Chad, you're saying you don't have that time. There are other things that are more important. Then you're not building a platform. It doesn't. You're not ruling it out for the future. But at the moment, that's not the most important thing for where you need. And so you're not putting energy into it. Yeah, and you can kind of think of it more like you described a minute ago, where you're like you stitch some pieces together and you kind of let them run on their own for a while, right? So that you can go off and focus on something else. And and you know, 
that will eventually need attention or you will out, outgrow the pieces that you stitch together. And so you'll need to go back and revisit that. Um, but at a faster, larger organization, things are moving pretty quickly and you do need that dedicated attention um, because as soon as you've kind of completed the thing, you know, you're needing to revisit it or you've got enough projects that are going to have an outsized impact that those platform engineers are moving from project to project to project, achieving that impact. But, and if they were to move and do something product focused, then there's an opportunity cost there. And, um, and so I think most businesses are seeing that like the cost of not applying platform engineers to their business is not, you know, at a certain scale, you, you're getting value by having those people dedicated to that. And so, yeah, it's, it's, you just, you figure it out as you go and as you grow. And I think some organizations, you know, like you can listen to like the engineering enablement podcast. They talk to a lot of professionals in the industry doing, um, uh, platform engineering and um, some even report that they have massive amounts of resources dedicated to this. Your mileage may vary, I guess. Organization right. to organization. I don't think there's like a, a de facto, you should apply X amount of your engineering resources to platform. Um, I don't think that exists. So you just kind of have to figure out where you are with your own organization. And it has to make economic sense to dedicate yeah. those resources to building a platform. I kind of equate it to, let's say I'm a small company that makes widgets of some kind. If I'm making five widgets a year, I don't need a multi-million dollar factory to churn out those widgets as efficiently as possible. But if my stuff grows and I'm getting to the point where I need to produce 50 widgets an hour, then having people do it by hand no longer makes sense. I need a way to automate that process. So suddenly that factory makes sense. And as I grow, I add more factories or I build a bigger factory or I diversify into different kinds of factories that make different kinds of widgets. Because, hey, I'm a multinational conglomerate now. I'm not just a, a rinky-dink startup. So maybe the, for me, that's the right lens to look through it. I'm, I'm curious if you think my analogy holds up or I'm, I'm just yeah, treading water here. <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes total sense. So let's say I don't have a platform today at my organization. Uh, so how do I move to that way of thinking? I mean, I, but, I, but I'm starting with nothing. I've got no pipeline. I've got no infrastructure as code. I got no repos. I got no QA. I got no nothing, but I, that's where I want to go. How do I get started? I guess it starts with talking to your engineers, figuring mm -hmm. out where they're toiling, um, figuring out what they're focusing on that is not directly related to the value that they're intending to bring to the organization. If you can reduce that toil for them, help them to focus on what they're trying to achieve more often, I think you're moving in the right direction. And so whatever that may be, sometimes it's uh, they're working on a part of the system that is only tangentially related to what they're trying to accomplish. So for example, they're, they're trying to, I don't know, build a, a component on the front end that, you know, they need in order to represent the data that they're trying to represent, but they're having to, or they're, they're taking on the task of kind of building that component from scratch. Whereas maybe they could leverage like a third party 
component library to provide them like a wealth of off-the-shelf components that they could then, you know, just consume that and reduce their effort of building what it is they're trying to build. Maybe it's like an, a dashboard of some kind. Um, so like providing that third-party component library to them, it's like a license that just needs to be purchased, right? Mm. Purchase of that license and then maybe some training on how to use those components could potentially speed that development process up by two or three X. I mean, that's huge. I mean, that license cost probably is nothing compared to the, the productivity that those developers are going to get from that using that library. And so that's just an example. I mean, a lot of more heavily cited examples are things like CICD and infrastructure or stuff like that. But it doesn't have to be those things. It could be anything that is going to like improve the velocity, the mental well-being of those developers. And so you'll hear a lot about platforms need to stay connected to their customers. And one way of doing that is by surveying the engineers within the company. And so at a, you know, a, mid, a mid-sized organization, that may be quite simple. You know, you just go around talking to everybody and you kind of figure out what are the common themes what could I potentially do that would improve the life of 80% of my engineers? Um, and then you go do that and check to make sure that the benefit that you expected is achieved. And so that's like this like iterative cycle. Quick clarification. You're saying engineers. Now, when I am on the ops side of the house, I think of developers or software engineers as my customers. Are those the engineers we're talking about? Or are we talking about both infrastructure engineers and software engineers? I don't think one side or the other is more deserving of improving developer experience (laughs) than the other. But I think the reality is that like businesses are trying to deliver value to their customers as fast as possible and with as high a quality as possible. A lot of times the focus tends to be on the product developers. If there is something that's going to drastically improve the productivity of your infrastructure engineers, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't do that because they themselves are, even if indirectly, providing value to the business as customers. And so like, I don't really see a dichotomy there. I think the focus really is more about developer experience and then how that developer experience ultimately gets translated into like improved business outcomes. Now, I, I purposely set up a bit of a straw man there because I, I'm I'm with you in that the best IT experiences I've ever had has been when the wall between dev and ops comes down and you just walk over to the desk of the person you're trying to help and go, you sent me this ticket. What the heck are you trying to do? And then you have a conversation and you go, oh, is that all you did? Because you asked me for this other thing, actually. But what you really want is this? Yeah, that's all I'm looking for. Oh, okay. And then you bring up those 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 walls uh, down. You you open up the mm-hmm. channels of communication. You get into a mindset of we're all on the same team here. We all have the same goals at NIT, working for the business to try to get something done. And life gets a lot easier. Now, managerial thiefdoms can become a problem there. It's like, you can't talk to my person unless you talk to me first. And I've run into those situations now and again, where those silos Mm -hmm. seem to be reinforced with steel bars for no obvious reason other than someone's ego. 
But when you can get by that stuff and everyone's actually working on the same team for the same set of goals, uh, I'm with you, right? It's not like you need to separate software engineers and ops engineers or infrastructure engineers into these different uh, pools and treat them in different ways. We all have a common need and a common goal that we're trying to reach. Different specialties, different things that we're most knowledgeable about that we need to learn a common language and figure out how to communicate about. But when you get past that, then what you accomplish is just, it just, everything just gets easier. Everything just gets so much easier because you build that trust. And then there's none of these silly objections that so often we run into because of, of politics and people, uh, processes that are entrenched for, for no obvious reason within an organization. And then someone codified it five years ago and it's in a book. Um, being yeah. able to move beyond those things is, can, can be transformational. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up process and that's something that I've, become more and more convinced that process is a part of the platform. Because really, when you think about it, like a lot of times process is the piece of that's dragging people down. By changing a component of your software development process or, you know, delivery process or communication process or incident management or response process, like these things can make a huge impact on the productivity of engineers and their ability to deliver the outcomes the business wants to see. I've seen, you know, process both be a, a huge boon to productivity and a huge hindrance to productivity. And so, like, if we can start to recognize that, like, you know, those management processes, those software delivery processes are part of that overall picture of delivering value to customers, then we can start to iterate on those same processes. I mean, this is what Agile is all about like the mm -hmm. little a agile, right? Of like, let's figure out what's working and then iterate on it and then ask ourselves like, what part of this isn't working for us? What part of this could be different and make us faster or better in some way? And then you change it. And a lot of companies, like they want to maybe do part of the platform type stuff, but they're maybe a little bit more rigid on the process stuff. Maybe they see that as kind of like a threat of some kind to like maybe potentially break down these organizational barriers because that could be, you know, maybe somebody could see that as their job. You know, it's like yeah. my job is to be a, a manager here or a project manager or a scrum master or whatever. And now these people are saying that I'm in their way. And so it could potentially be threatening. But I think the reality is that good people are very capable of doing other things that are also going to provide huge impact to the business. And like, for example, you know, if a scrum master is very heavy handed, basically driving what's happening in the team and the team is like, well, I, you know, this isn't really helping us. Maybe you could take a step back. That scrum master could potentially still provide a huge value in other ways. It doesn't have to be the way that they've been doing it. And so like, um, and the same goes for like, you know, engineering managers, or um, product managers, you know, it's like, we should all be thinking about like, is what we're doing, is this process serving us? Or are we serving it? <laughs> and uh, figure out a way to optimize for, you know, um, you know, good outcomes, um, and be willing to consider everything instead of simply, um, you know, what could I build to make things better? You could start asking, like, what could I take away to make things better? I think one of the big challenges with process is process has momentum, right? You get used to doing things a certain way. 
especially when you're deep in the mire of it, it's hard to take a step back and look at it holistically and go, well, th- this process no longer is relevant or there's a much faster way of doing that. And that's something that's hard to capture in like metrics and how many commits per day and, and the sort of things that we we tend to track to get a handle on developer velocity and how and what's our release cadence. How do you unpack? How do you peel back the layers of the process to figure out a way to incorporate that in the platform and accelerate a team? I don't know if you have an answer, but I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. So it sounded kind of like what you were saying is like changes in process could be potentially hard to measure. One thing I've seen in the past is like you don't change it across the board. You maybe do it as like a smaller subset of the organization and you just like see like did this change of process make a measurable improvement in this team's overall software delivery you know performance um and you might measure that by you know their velocity um as a team to see if like you know that change in process is markedly improving that team's velocity not like that team's velocity compared to other teams but like did it improve their velocity from a to b that can be a way to kind of get a feel for changes in process. Um, I guess it's really back to that um, that concept of asking developers what they feel is supporting them. So you can do this in like retrospectives, for example. Like there's a lot of retrospective formats that, like for example, like the sailboat retrospective, which is one I did recently. You know, one of the, the questions that you ask in that kind of retrospective is like, what are the anchors that are, holding us back that are slowing us down and um and sometimes some of the answers that pop up out of that is like you know i keep getting pinged by customer support to deal with issues and it's giving me a hard time making it harder for me to concentrate and so that points at sort of like a process issue um it also kind of points at bugs so like if we could maybe improve our code health we would maybe have less bugs, which would result in less customer support issues, which would make it less toilsome for that engineer. But it also could be like that there's a missing piece of process there that's isol- or, you know, that's helping to create like an escalation path for mm-hmm. customer support issues so that maybe customer support isn't like pinging that person every time that they have a problem. Maybe there needs to be like an on-call or, you know, something like that in place to keep people from getting interrupted a lot. So yeah, I mean, retrospectives are a great way to discover a need for a process change and then you know you can use the your typical agile style of experiment to see if it improves things and if not throw it out and if it does roll it out further and things like that chad another point that you've made is that platform engineers should be constantly delivering incremental value that's an interesting way to phrase it i'm sure i'm wondering if you can give some examples of what you mean by that sure and I mean, this is similar to just any software delivery process. And what you're referring to, I think, is um, uh, I gave a talk at DevOps Days in Birmingham, Alabama, about this topic. And um, what I was hinting at is that platform engineering should be thought of as similar to delivering a product to customers. You don't want to go into a hole and build a thing that you know, when you come out the other side and you deliver it as if you're like kind of delivering a a gift from on high, um, you don't, you know, it's very risky. 
that maybe you're delivering the wrong thing, or maybe you were delivering it the right thing six months ago, but times have changed and that thing is no longer relevant or as relevant as it once was. So you want to make sure that your iteration cycles of developing platform-related value have a fast iterative loop um, because you want to get feedback from the people that you're delivering this value to to make sure it's meeting their needs and to be able to find like, okay, well, how could I maybe make this even better to even provide more value to you? And so it's, you know, um, software developers probably recognize this sentiment because it's very much like building a product for customers. Um, and that's exactly what I was referring to there was, is that, um, you know, when you're building a platform, just because your customers are internal doesn't mean that that paradigm of building a product is any less relevant. In fact, it's, it's extraordinarily relevant. Well, Chad, this has been a fascinating conversation. You've got a lot of uh, perspective on this that feels very mature, as in you had a lot of time to think about this. You've worked with multiple organizations and seen a lot of different scenarios. So we appreciate your reflections here. Thanks. Platform engineering, this is a whole, to me, it feels like an evolution of DevOps. Like for years, we talked about DevOps, DevOps this and DevOps that. And now in 2023, all the rage is platform engineering. We're talking about building platforms. So it feels like that's what DevOps evolved to. Now we're building platforms. So for folks who, maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't, but I'm assuming you do because you're in the world of platform engineering. Uh, if there are folks out there who have been doing DevOps for a long time and they want to level up, they're like, yeah, I, it's time to go to the next step. I want to do platform engineering. I want to build a platform. Do you have resources for them to recommend? I mean, how do they get started and, and make the shifts in their sure. thinking that maybe they need to make? Shift your thinking from infrastructure to developer experience. And then that will start to kind of open up this door to, to other resources. Um, I mentioned the Engineering Enablement Podcast. That's just a resource among many that is quite good. Gergé Oroz writes quite a bit about platform engineering, and um, he has a pretty mature perspective on it, I think. But there are, are many resources in the space to kind of follow uh, for this. I can share some links afterwards. Um, nothing jumps out at me right this second but um but yeah just shift your mindset to developer experience and how to think in terms of delivering value to your customers so the people that you're building these things for and and also like how that's going to translate to value to the company's customers and then by framing the your work in this way it's going to allow you to kind of see why doing something like, you know, building a platform may make sense for your organization and um, and to what degree. Um, it may be as simple as writing some docs on like Notion and sharing it with your engineers. And it may be as complex as adopting a, a full-on Kubernetes-based platform and providing a huge lift for the engineers. And it could be somewhere in between. And so you just have to figure out what ma what matches the needs of your org and go and fill that need and evangelize for yourself. I mean, infrastructure engineers are probably not used to being this like gregarious, outgoing person. Um, <laughs> but uh, the reality is like very similar to a product. You know, the work that you do needs evangelism. It needs, you know, you know, don't just build the thing, go tell people about it and like help mm. 
people by writing docs and by maybe providing like migration strategies and, you know, pairing with people. And, you know, there's like this whole world of being great at platform engineering. And um, it's just, you know, going and building the thing and expecting it to be amazing and expecting people to just adopt it is a fairy tale. So mm. um, there you go. Well, Chad, you're very uh, gregarious and outgoing online. You've got uh, your chatxz.dev. You've uh, you've got some YouTube talks up there from DevOps days and so on. Uh, where else can people find you? Any other social media outlets where you'd recommend people follow you? Social media is kind of on fire right now, but um, <laughs> we've noticed. <laughs> I'm hoping that kind of resolves itself over the next couple of years. But um, I've been pretty quiet lately. But um, when I do post, it's on mastodon at chat xz uh i like linkedin these days it's a pretty good place mm -hmm. um so you can find me on linkedin and message me there happy to chat thanks for having me it's been a fun chat and i really enjoyed the questions and uh, the discussion yeah, man. Thank you for coming on board. And uh, and thanks to you out there for listening. Virtual high fives to you, awesome human, for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, people that you'd like us to interview, people like Chad, we would love to hear those suggestions. You can find Ned and I on our LinkedIn pages as well. You can search for Ethan Banks or Ned Balavance and for the Day 2 Cloud page under the Packet Pushers Company profile to follow all the LinkedIn things and keep up with us. And did you know that you don't have to scream into the technology void alone? The Packet Pushers Podcast Network has a free Slack group that is open to everyone. Visit packetpushers.net slash Slack and join. It is a marketing-free zone for engineers to chat, compare notes, tell war stories, and solve problems together. Again, that's packetpushers.net slash Slack. And until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.